Welcome to Brothers in Who, a Married Who spin out podcast in which me, Jake, my brother Alex, watch Classic Who in whatever fucking order we want. Lately, Alex and I have been going through all of the companions of Doctor Who, one at a time. This week, we're doing two at a time. That's right, it is time for Stephen and Dodo. The reason we're doing both of them together is because there's just not a lot of their stories that exist that we can watch. We don't do the reconstructions, because I can't be fucking bothered. <laughs> They're <laughs> so boring. <laughs> We're focusing just on stories that exist. We have three stories that we can do for these two people. We have the Time Meddler, the Ark, and the Gun Gunfighters. Fighters. Yeah. So we decided we'll just watch all of them for one podcast and talk about both companions. So because we have so much to talk about today, I'm limiting us... To 15 minutes per story. Oh, man. And the caveat that I'm going to have to say at the beginning of every podcast that we do like this is that we're not really deep diving into the characters. You know, we're new to these. Some of these we're watching for the very first time. Alex, especially. And, you know, there's other podcasts for stuff like that. We're really doing this exercise as an excuse to watch stories that we maybe otherwise wouldn't have chosen. You know, if we were... Just decided to do some First Doctor stories for a couple of weeks, and I'm the one who chooses. I wouldn't have picked the Ark or the Gunfighters. But, as you'll hear later, Alex fucking loved the Gunfighters. <laughs> so <laughs> Who doesn't? Everybody. Well, I, I guess yeah, we can get into it, yeah. We will. Yeah. So, that's why we're doing this. And, as we move forward, the strategy with each of these companions is that we're doing their first and their final story in the 60s that's really difficult because a we've either already watched them because we went through all the dalek stories and there's a lot of dalek stories in the 60s or they don't exist so it's hard and there's also big tardis teams so sometimes they have the same last story or the same first story or whatever yeah so steven his first story, he shows up at the end of The Chase. We already watched that. You can go back and listen to our Chase episode when we went through every Dalek story. So his first proper story is The Time Meddler. I totally forgot Stephen was at the end of The Chase. And then when they showed him in the, in the TARDIS in this one, I was like, wait a minute. <laughs> so first, we're doing The Time Meddler, written by Dennis Spooner, the outgoing script editor it seems to be a pattern that the outgoing script editor writes a story written by dennis spooner directed by douglas camfield aired the third through the 24th of july 1965 it's four 25 minute episodes alex yeah what did you think of the time meddler i thought it was cool um I it kind of left me with more questions than answers at the end. <laughs> what do you mean? Like, was the time meddler a time lord? Yes. Okay. They, 
They never said that, did they? They hadn't created that term yet. Oh, shit. Okay. So all they say is, the Doctor does say he's the same, or he doesn't even say the same species. He says he's from the same planet as me. Okay. Or someone asks, is he from the same planet as you? And he just says, yes. Okay. And is time meddler like uh, like a term like a burglar? So like police would stop burglars. Do the time lords <laughs> stop time meddlers? I don't know. It's just a phrase people said in the oh, 60s. Okay. <laughs> These meddling kids. <laughs> I would have gotten away with it. But like the way that the doctor came, I was like, oh, I get it now. You're a time meddler. And I was like, right. oh, that's like a title. It's like, oh, there's one every season. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, let's actually get into the story. Starts out kind of, well, we start off with the TARDIS scene. You know, I love starting in long TARDIS scenes. Uh, it's Vicky and the Doctor. They're, you know, kind of bummed. They just lost uh, Ian and Barbara. Yeah. So how are we going to repa- replace Ian and Barbara? Stephen comes stumbling in. Closed, tattered, mind not working right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And the Doctor kind of immediately... It's like, welcome aboard. You live with us now. Yeah. I was going to say the doctor bounced back pretty fast. Like he, he, I think he took it pretty hard, um, losing Ian and Barbara, but was really quick in, into getting back into the swing of things with, um, Steven and Vicky. Yeah. But in this story, as opposed to some others we've seen, the doctor very quickly just goes off on his own. Yeah, it is very much a two hander between the doctor and the monk and then the doctor and then Vicky and Steven. Yeah. And I think that's kind of on purpose because then you can tell the story while Steven's kind of getting acclimated because, you know, he's skeptical. He, you know, didn't see the other way around. (laughs) Like he he didn't. um, It's kind of weird. Like he didn't know what he was stumbling into. He hears time machine. He's like, yeah, right. Yeah. They they land on a beach and they find something. He's like, well, that could be a toy. That could be from any time. Yeah. That could have been left there from a thousand years ago. And we just discovered it. We're rich. Because of that, he was pissing me off, though. <laughs> like anything the doctor <laughs> said, he's like, no, that's not right. You're full of shit. <laughs> but you would. Yeah. Like, he was no. the most reasonable, right. but it was pissing me off as a viewer. <laughs> <laughs> My next note is. Stephen shaves, in parentheses, so handsome. <laughs> <laughs> he did have his hair done up real good. Right. Yeah. It's it's so funny. Like, he's this scraggly dude. And it's like, well, obviously, he got hired because like, he's this giant fucking, like, super good looking guy. Very tall and huge. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. And then, of course, standing next to William Hartnell and um, Maureen O'Brien, uh, who are both miniature. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he's just towers over everybody. Yep. And in this story... As opposed to the other two we've seen, he's very happy to fight people. Like he, mm-hmm. yeah, he really gets the Ian side of the Ian and Barbara mix that he will see him have to shoulder as he goes on in his time. Yeah. So I think Vicky in this one, as opposed to the ones we've seen her in before, even though she always had more to do than Susan ever did, she gets a lot to do in this one and is kind of. It's that the dynamics of the TARDIS team have changed. So like instead of the adults and the kid, as it was with Ian and Barbara, now it's like the doctor and then like a brother-sister duo where <laughs> I wrote in my notes like Caroline Ford must be at home watching this because she says she watches Doctor Who. She watches every episode and 
she must have like driven to Verity Lambert's house and taken a shit on her yard because <laughs> what the fuck? It's so easy to have the girl like be good. Yeah. Was that was that because um, when Susan was there, it was Susan and Barbara were both there, whereas now it's just Vicky. So she kind of gets both roles yeah, I mean, almost. We already did our Vicky episode, but even right away, she does seem just like brighter and more charming than Susan. Mm -hmm. And that might or we also I mean, we're now we're wasting time talking about Susan and Vicky now in our Stephen and Dodo episode. But she, you know, didn't have this burden of this character that she thought she was playing. She got to just be a girl from the 60s, even though her character is from the 25th century or whatever. She just got to be like a, a fun girl. Yeah. That was all just to say that the dynamic of the TARDIS team is different than it was having just a twosome who are relatively the same age. The actors are only like two years apart in age. Uh, and that's why we get this kind of split where the two companions go off on their own and the doctor goes off, you know, first have like a whole episode with the woman in the village and then most of the rest of the story with the monk. Yeah. Speaking of the monk, uh, the monk is great. Spoiler for my MVP. He's the best. <laughs> he he reminded me of someone. Does he look kind of like the second doctor a little bit to you? <laughs> kind of, yeah. Like, yeah, I was getting some second doctor vibes the way he was like, <laughs> like just like being just weird facially, you know? You know, there is another story that he's in. He comes back. Oh. In a missing story. Oh. Um, I have it. Oh, so yeah, in the in the Dalek master plan, which is like 76 episodes long, he comes back like somewhere near the end for a couple episodes. Okay. And hmm. that's why even now today, anytime you see some character that there's questions about, like when there's when we didn't know who Missy was or like the impossible girl, stuff like that, everyone's like, oh, the time meddler <laughs> or, <laughs> oh, yeah. or they, they say the monk, not the time meddler. It's like, oh, it's the monk or the Ronnie or the Valiard because they're all like one off or two off characters that everyone wants back. Yeah. Go. What do you got? The plot of the monk was kind of bonkers. Um, basically. To wipe out the Vikings. Yeah, wipe out history. the Vikings to basically not, was it to not send England into the Dark Ages so technology could advance faster or something like that? Yeah. It was wild. It was neat. It was a cool concept. Yeah, the monk is kind of at both times like seems like he's doing good, mm -hmm. but is also like, oh, it's just fun to fuck with time. Right. He's he's just uh, he's getting his jollies off. Right. Yeah. And he never like he never like purposely tries to hurt anybody other than he's going to vaporize the Vikings. Right. But. You know, he just puts the doctor in a cell just to kind of keep him out of the way. And then he makes him a lovely breakfast on his griddle because <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> he's using his TARDIS for power for power. Yeah. So you didn't know this going in when at the end of episode three, when Stephen and Vicky open the TARDIS doors did that. Were you surprised of the meddlers TARDIS? Yeah. Yeah. I like I had no idea. And. It was neat to see a different disguise of a TARDIS. <laughs> yeah, to see a TARDIS whose chameleon circuit works. Yeah, I thought that was pretty cool. And then they kept the continuity, too, because when they're inside and they open the doors, they had to crouch down because the outside was 
a table. And so they had to crouch down every right. time to get through. Yeah, like crawl in. Yeah, yeah. And then that that leads to the great shot at the very end when the monk has been deserted and yeah. his TARDIS dimensions have been fixed. Yeah. He, he is on his hands and knees just barely getting his head in. And it's all small. and <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> um, I think when he comes back in the Dalek master plan, he he or the doctor pull a trick where they disguise his TARDIS as a police box to like confuse people about which mm. I think maybe the Daleks go into it. Thinking, like, I think we just saw this yeah, in Revolution of the Daleks. Very similar. <laughs> so I think they took it from the Dalek master plan. That's <clears> awesome. Which Chibnall's a big classic fan, so he would know that. That's hilarious. The Daleks <laughs> fell for it again. <laughs> <laughs> Fucking Daleks are so dumb. Bring back the mechanoids. Bring back the uh, who are the other race that beat them? Um, the sexy dreadlock yeah. people. Uh, anyway, bring back these races that have defeated the Daleks before in combat, like, and not in a dumb YouTube cartoon. <laughs> yeah, I want to see it in Doctor Who. <laughs> I do like the Doctor in this, and kind of like his like righteous anger at another time traveler messing with time mm -hmm. like he as soon as he hears that record skip with of like the monk chanting that was a really cool thing too. it was cool yeah because and uh, it gives the area like a sense of space yeah like it does feel like oh that's like just up the hill and the sound carries down and it does feel like they're in this area that's you know small it's a village but it does feel like they're not in a studio mm -hmm. yeah there was a lot of felt like a lot of spatialness in this story yeah and just from that the doctor immediately knows what's going on yeah whereas like the companions when they hear the same thing it takes them forever like they find a watch mm -hmm. and they're like well steven's like oh we're in the 11th century look at this yeah yeah god that was cool when the when the record like dipped down because it, it like slowed down and then sped up again yeah that was sick <laughs> and we get fun stuff like uh you know, the doctor discovering the trap door in the cell and then the companions discovering. It. And again, it's Vicky, like actually yeah. having knowledge yeah, or at yeah. least like searching suggestions and her flipping out on Stephen uh, where she's like, how about you listen to me for once? <laughs> and just like goes <laughs> off on him. He's like, fine. <laughs> well, he was being an asshole. Like the, like the first two episodes of the story is just an asshole. Yeah. And then, um, you know, all the stuff with the villagers and. The Vikings, you know, apart from a very traumatic scene, which probably shouldn't be in 60s children's television, uh, was cool. <laughs> I I think um, this man in 1066, who like is the leader of the village, must have invented the comb over because I don't know who else would have done that <laughs> <laughs> at that time. That's right. After that battle scene, it was like hanging off. It was like super long. Well, and then there's a fight scene where they surround the Vikings. They surprise them. Yeah. And it's like, oh, sweet. Get the Vikings out of here. And they lose. <laughs> the yeah. Vikings kick the shit out of them. <laughs> yeah. Well, they had spears and stuff. And the Vikings had like swords and axes. Yeah. Right? Yeah. But they were also drunk. True. Yeah. Oh, it is. That is it. No more time to talk about the time idler. But do you have an MVP? Uh, I'm going to give it to. I'm going to give it to Vicky. Vicky was great. She like had to convince Mr. Asshole of, of things. <laughs> she did great. <laughs> Mr. Asshole. I'm a boy and my name's Steven. <laughs>
Or it's person. I'm a person. It's Star Wars Episode One. <laughs> I'm a person. My name's Anakin. <laughs> Peter Butterworth is my MVP. He played the monk. He's fantastic. He was good. Okay, Alex, it's now time to talk about the arc, which was written by Paul Erickson and Leslie Scott, directed by Michael Emerson, aired March 5th through the 26th, 1966. Um, this is the next season. Time Meddler was the finale of season two. We have a new showrunner. Verity Lambert has left. I think Dalek Master Plan, like she started the production of it. She did all the pre-production and then the actual shooting and everything was a new production team. Um, it's not a very long lived production team. There was a battle with William Hartnell, which William Hartnell won. <laughs> and so oh, this guy wow. was gone. But I don't know a ton about the history of the 60s era of Doctor Who. So the arc. Introduction to us of Dodo. Dodo did show up in the previous story, The Massacre, at the very end. There was another character in that called, who had the same last name as Dodo, who was in the whole thing, and then they left her, and Stephen was really mad at the Doctor for leaving her. And at the very end, they meet Dodo, because they went to like a different time. They meet Dodo, who has the same last name, and he's like, oh, good, she must have lived. Because she has like a granddaughter or great granddaughter or something. Yeah. And so they're like, hey, come with us. We swear we won't immediately treat you like shit. <laughs> Which they did. They were very mean to Dodo. <laughs> My first note is everyone hates Dodo. <laughs> so this was Dodo's first story? Yeah, first proper story. I guess I should start with what do you think of the arc? Uh, it was good. Uh, I liked how they split it up in half. Yeah. Kind of like, like it was two, the same two episode stories. Yeah. It was, the, it was technically the same story, same place, but the way that they did it, I thought that was really cool. Um, and really interesting and good, yeah. good topic for like children and stuff. Like, yeah, that was good stuff. Yeah. They show up at a place. It's a human colony ship. There's another species on it called the monoids, which Beautiful character design. Was it actually the their mouths with the pie in it? <laughs> I don't know. It it had it to looks have been. great. It looks good. And uh they try to leave. They come after episode two. They you know, I really like those first two episodes where Dodo has a cold and we're in the far future where human or where mankind has eradicated the common cold. So none of these people have any immunity to it. Yeah. And so Dodo sneezes, people just start fucking dying, which in today's climate was a little too close to home when everyone starts putting masks on and like staying away from each other. Yeah, I wrote down cool masks. They're cool. <laughs> Got to be able to still see that face when you're acting. Yeah. Even the monoids are wearing them. That was pretty neat. And then, you know, the doctor, we talked about this in the sensor rights, like the doctor actually like getting in a lab and creating a cure it's fucking great. Yeah. That's what we want the doctor to be doing. The only thing that was bothering me about that whole thing was that they're so advanced. They're so knowledgeable. They have a ton of technology. They don't know quarantine protocols. <laughs> right. Like, they just don't know, like, oh, if someone's sick, we should put them in a room, like, not with other people instead of 800 people grabbing that person and hauling <laughs> them off. <Right>. Like, <laughs> what are you doing? Also, 
have some questions about their laws. Because at the very beginning, this dude is, like, found guilty of, like, being negligent at work. And, like, something catastrophic could have happened. Yeah. And so his punishment was he has to be shrunk and put in their, like, containment unit for 700 years. And then he gets to be brought back to life when they get to their de- destination. Sign mm-hmm. me up. <laughs> like, who do I got to shoot to get put in the thing for 700 <laughs> years? Because I'll do it. I want to live in a spaceship. Yeah, but he's also kind of like, wasn't it the that dude's daughter like liked him or was dating him or something? Like, I got the feeling that they were dating because she was very sad. Oh, maybe. And then if you're in that state for 700 years, everyone you knew and loved is gone. Yeah, I'm okay with that. <laughs> okay. okay. Well, <laughs> I suppose. Also, like, why doesn't she just grab a gun and start waving it around? <laughs> Put me True. in there, too. Yeah. <laughs> And then the doctor cures everyone. They get back in the TARDIS. They land in the exact same place. And it takes them a little while to find out that there's 700 years in the future. And I really love the reveal because they're telling us about this fucking statue that they're making. Yeah. That's going to be a human, a statue of a human that they can place on this planet. I really thought they were wasting time explaining that. And then you finally see you're like, oh, fuck, that's awesome. It's a monoid statue now because the monoids have taken over, learned how to talk (laughs) and taken over. And it's great. And so, Not too inventive oh, with their names, though. <laughs> monoid? No, I mean, they all name oh, each other one, numbers. Two, yeah. Um, did the... So was the monoid revolution driven by their power to speak and the creation of the gun? Like, is did I catch that right? I, well, I mean, it helped. Okay. Hmm. I mean, they, they could already communicate. They had sign language. So why... <laughs> right. I don't... <laughs> I don't know. And the worst made-for-TV sign language. Yeah, it was weird. Like, bring in someone who knows sign language or whatever kind of sign language they use in the 60s in the UK. I don't know. Hmm. Bring in someone who knows sign language. Have them show the actor, like, four signs that are, like, you know, a little elaborate. So it looks like they're not just spelling their name. Yeah. And then just do that. Like, oh, here's one. And then people who actually know sign language could be like, Oh, he just said, like, go fuck yourself <laughs> or whatever. <laughs> uh, that's funny. <laughs> or the sign could be like, hey, if you know sign language, you could tell your friends that you know what I'm saying. But I <laughs> or whatever. <laughs> right. Something fun for the kids. Um, <laughs> For the first two episodes, I have one note that the doctor, he has like a monoid assistant when he's making the cure. And he loves that guy. <laughs> Like oh he, for sure we we need a hashtag monoid for next companion yeah yeah um I did also notice that uh for the TARDIS team it only got real when one guardian died but like seven monoids died <laughs> no one gives a shit no one gave a shit so like no wonder they re- revolted like you don't <laughs> care about them it was ah uh, yeah so when when they're in the future. And the monoids take them all captive because they're human or human looking. My next note is Steven's a bitch. Ian would have killed every single one of those monoids. Yeah. <laughs> for fun. Like before they even said anything. Just attack them because they got the one eyeball. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> yeah. Well, like you see him stalking the sensorites around the ship with a hammer. Yeah. And he's just like, you know, they take a step. He's like, don't make me. I want to kill so bad. <laughs> I will fuck you up. He's got the blood in him. 
It's like my uh, character in our D&D game. It's just a bloodlust that forces him <laughs> to adventure. Uh, and then they finally land on this planet or get there. The doctor goes down. It's inhabited by beings that are not corporeal. Yeah, they're and, like elevated. Right. And the doctor's like, finally, someone intelligent I can talk to. Yeah. <laughs> and the doctor just like solves everything from a thousand miles away. Well, and those beings are really cool because they're like, yeah, we knew you were coming. Yeah. We built this place for you. Yeah. That's bro. <laughs> That's so cool. And the humans would have no idea how to deal with like such benevolence. They would have immediately burned the place down because <laughs> humans are the worst. Or they would have started started worshiping it. That's, yeah. that's probably more. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but yeah, that was cool. And the whole hitch was you just can't be combative against each other. And there's an immediate war. <laughs> right. <laughs> like there's a it's not even like a war against the humans and the monoids. It's also a civil war within the monoids. Yeah. And that's more the the stuff that I always complain about, like power of the Daleks, sense rights, this just like shapeless people that all look the same mm -hmm. um having infighting or like political infighting like i don't give a shit if four or one is the leader of the monoids yeah four would probably be like more anti-war or whatever yeah but it's the same virtually the same story as the sensorites where like okay. everything's going good and then the sensorites start infighting and then because they all look the same, it's tough to like someone could just be like, oh, yeah, I'm the same guy you were just talking to. Yeah. Uh, you just put the sash on. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Give aliens names <laughs> or faces that look different. Uh, speaking of Power of the Daleks, we got a lot of animated stuff coming up. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. The uh, TARDIS team leaves. Doctor vanishes inside the TARDIS and we move on to the Celestial Toymaker, which doesn't exist. So we didn't watch it. But great setup for a story. Yeah. So what else you got? We have four minutes left. We don't need to use it all. Uh, no, I mean, that was just pretty. Oh, uh, all of the actual animals they used in this story was really cool. Oh, yeah. Like they had elephants. They had a bunch of lizards and stuff. But it was just cool to see like full on animals. Yeah. It was neat. Uh, and it I... gave it like the arc vibe, oh. you know? Right. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, they kind of see it as it's happening that, you know, there's this animal from North America, this animal from Australia, this animal from Asia. And then they see the ceiling of this jungle that they're in and very reminiscent of the story we just watched for Married to Who, World Enough in Time. Yeah. Which, uh, you know, this isn't going to come out for six weeks. So <laughs> to really date this podcast that we're doing today is the 50th anniversary of both the master being introduced to Doctor Who and Joe Grant being introduced to Doctor Who. Wow. Yeah. So we'll be able to watch that story because it's Joe Grant's first story. All right. Tune in for <laughs> three months from now when we get there. <laughs> yeah. The, I realized while we were attempting to wrap up that we didn't talk about Dodo at all. And that's no, well, kind of a problem. Well, <laughs> she got shit on the whole time. Right. And that's that's why it, we're doing Steven and Dodo together is because there's not a lot to say about Dodo. Because in this one, she gets the most to do and she doesn't do anything. Yeah. <laughs> and she starts out like really plucky and sassy. And she's supposed to have like this 
Cockney accent that they drop right away because I, I, I've the, heard the there's, doctor yelled at her. <laughs> well, I've heard there's some producer of the BBC that has like said no. <laughs> and oh, yeah. And then the doctor's like, you're going to learn English. And by the end of her time, she's like very speaking like RP, like mm-hmm. and like very proper and voice way up here. And, you know, sounds like Claire Foy in the crown. And it was, so what did Dodo do in this one? Anything? I don't think she had think she any was, plot points. I think she was fun in the first episode and was like, I was looking forward to her and then she just didn't do anything. Yeah. Same. I mean, and, you know, because of the nature of the story where it's really about the humans versus the monoids and the doctor kind of solves it all by himself. Steven doesn't really do a lot in this one either, other than he goes to that trial and then he gets sick and he's just in bed. Yeah. So maybe it's unfair to say Dodo doesn't do anything because it's just not really a story where the companions have anything to do. But we don't have a lot of stories with these two in them, but we do have one more. And that <laughs> is speaking of companions not doing much. <laughs> and that is of the gunfighters where Dodo is immediately just put in her room and told to stay up there. Dodo's in a room and... Uh, Steven, what was his name? It was uh, Regret. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Regret is uh, held hostage most of the time. <laughs> oh, before we move on, who's your MVP of the arc? Uh, I'm going to give it to – it's it's hard because, like we said, this story was kind of split in two because they don't have characters from the first two and the, and the last two. So, it, like, they don't go over the whole thing, but – um. I kind of want to give it to the, like the vice president or whatever that young guy was, because he played it so well. He was just very hateable, <laughs> but he was also the most uh, sensible in his position and in his duty. But like it was against the TARDIS team, so it made me hate them, hate him. <laughs> Well, I'll go with William Hartnell. I don't know if I've ever given him an MVP before, and we're running out of time to do so. I suppose, yeah. So it is now time for The Gunfighters, written by Donald Cotton, directed by Rex Tucker. If that's not a name to direct a Western, I don't know what it is. (laughs) Um, We're on to producer number three, Ennis Lloyd, one of the big ones, aired April 30th to May 21st, 1966. Alex, what would you think of The Gunfighters? I loved it for what it was. It may not have been a Doctor Who story, but it was a great Western. It is a good Western story. It actually really made me want to watch Tombstone again. That's exactly what I was going to say. Here's my first three notes. Great American accents. That's sarcastic. (laughs) Maybe, I think it is, the last pure historical in Doctor Who. This one was great for the history. And... I loved it. A story... That centers around the fact that the doctor has a toothache. <laughs> and so they have two, like, because he ate a sweet, yeah. he has to have a tooth hold. Yeah. He's a time lord. <laughs> yeah. He was pretty funny. I liked it. I loved all of the external characters. The the yeah. the people that were in the, in the episode. <laughs> they were great. And when we were asking Twitter like what the funniest Doctor Who story is. And someone presented this as an option. Funny? What? (laughs) Yeah. Matt Barber of the Strangers in Space podcast said, 
only the main cast is in a comedy. Everyone else is taking it deadly seriously. But if you watch Peter Purvis in this, he is hamming up every single line. He he's that, amazing in this. That's e- Steven, right? Yeah. Yeah, he was he was fun because he was in that <laughs> ridiculous getup the whole yeah, time. He looked like Marty McFly in Back to the Future Three. <laughs> yeah, and then but like you know he's singing and then he turns and like to take a step one way and there's a gun and they just like this big like head flip to be like <laughs> to be scared and he's just <laughs> really going for it. I will say it was it was cool to I mean she wasn't obviously playing it but when they were playing the piano and singing. That was really funny. And like, you know, they're being forced to like entertain and he had to sing the song, what, like 17 times or whatever. Yeah, that was funny. But the the whole entirety of the story wasn't comedy, in my opinion. In Jackie Lane's Mythmakers interview, that's the actress that plays Dodo. She said that like in the original script, it, Dodo was supposed to sing. And she can't sing a fucking note. Oh. So she was like begging the producers to have Steven be the one who sings. And Peter Purvis had sung. He'd been in musicals and stuff. Okay. But it wasn't like his favorite thing to do. So she she said like he's he was a little pissed at her, but I think he did a good job. Oh, yeah. He sounded great. That was good. And then the uh, the Doc <clears throat> Holliday's fiance. Kate. She, she, was, was that actress the one singing the song throughout the whole story? I doubt it. Okay, because it sounded like her. But also, like, why did Peter Purvis have to sing it live and she didn't? Well, because it was voiceover. Right. Why can't you voiceover Peter Purvis? Let it, get him in a studio. Let him, like, really have a crack at it. Were they doing that kind of... They did it with her. ...production? No, I'm talking the voiceover on, like, the, the scene changes. Right, but in the bar when she's singing, that's... Oh, that wasn't dubbed. her? No. Oh, wow. <clears throat> okay. So I suppose, that, yeah, because she was jumping around. That would have been wild. That is, um, gosh, I can't remember her first name. Her last name's Marsh. Maureen Marsh, something like that. She was great. She was a her model. Her outfit was great. <laughs> <laughs> she was a model who doesn't have a ton of acting credits. Uh, she had some stuff here and there, a couple of movies. Um, she, just trying to look her up today. She was on a lot of magazine covers. She just died, like, last year oh. at, like, uh, 89 years old or something. I was just trying to figure out like what she did because she didn't really have any acting credits after 1965. And she had like a lot of little TV and movie stuff in the 50s. I, I couldn't she opened a gym with her husband, but then they divorced in like 1968. And he was a stuntman. So it was like a stuntman gym. Oh, so I have no idea what she did for a job. I couldn't find anything, but she made it into the well into the 21st century. So good for her. Nice. Um, There's. A lot of murder in this story for, well, it's, it's for the, Doctor Who. It's the Wild West. I mean, you're yeah. going you're gonna to get it. I, I thought they shot it pretty well, though, because anytime a gun went off and someone got shot, like <laughs> they weren't showing them getting shot. They just showed well, the aftermath. Yeah, they're not going to have like squibs going off. What? <laughs> squibs? Squibs are like packets you wear under your clothes that oh, shoot blood out. Yeah. Nah. <clears throat> But, I mean, they didn't even show someone like standing way over there getting shot and just falling over. It yeah. was all like bang, and then it would cut <laughs> to the person, and then they would be like, "Uh." I think the the gunfight in the OK Corral was really well shot. Yeah, I, like I bet there's well, not movies from that time, but movies from the 30s that look exactly like that. Yeah, yeah, the gunfight at the OK Corral is fucking dope. Doc Holliday, I really like him in this. 
you know, mm-hmm. Val Kilmer's like the Doc Holiday. Everyone loves that performance. This dude was fucking good. He was very good. And I really, really like the guy. Spoiler for MVP. John John Alderson played Wyatt Earp. Um, Anthony Jacobs played Doc Holliday. But Wyatt Earp, I fucking loved him in this. Like he mm-hmm. looked like what other people are trying to do to play Wyatt Earp in other movies and TV shows. And to do it that long ago and just have like this idea of what Wyatt Earp is already is amazing. Yeah, I, I did enjoy him. He was he was like just the actor playing it was right. Really and he good was, too. you know, he's mostly like and a lot like again to compare it to Tombstone, like how Kurt Russell is in the first half of that movie. Like he's almost like really flippant because he just knows he can take everybody. Mm-hmm. And so when the Cl- the Claytons are being dicks and carousing around town, he's just like, all right, guys. And then, you know, he arrests the doctor just to keep him safe and doesn't really do anything to the Claytons. And then uh, when shit gets real, when his brother dies, a f- switch flips. Yeah. He goes like, in a full like, yeah, we're doing this. We're killing all of them. Yes. And they do. Yeah. And I can't believe they show that in <laughs> Doctor Who. And then the last shot before we cut to a TARDIS scene is just a pan over of these dead bodies yeah. in Doctor Who. And then after Doc kills um, Johnny Ringo, he does like the I thought you'd be better, which is like. They use that in the movies, so like that oh, must be a real line. That's a oh wow, crazy. Doc must have said that to somebody at some time. Hmm. But uh, in I don't know the historical accuracy, but in Tombstone, he kills Johnny Ringo much later, not at the OK Corral. Oh, okay. Uh, a couple different points in this story, the doctor mentions that he never drinks alcohol. He was um, drinking mead. In- that's exactly what I was going to say. In <laughs> in the time matter, he's drinking mead, which. Maybe he didn't know it had alcohol in it. And also, doesn't uh, doesn't he drink wine too? Well, John Purry's doctor does. Right, but I thought, uh, like, I thought the first doctor did too at one point. He's definitely drinking out of cups in the Romans that were probably filled with wine. That's yeah, that might be what I'm thinking of. Doctor's a liar. <laughs> uh, yeah, and then after playing the piano for one song. Dodo's sent to her room (laughs) and is not allowed to come out. And then she's she's taken by Doc and Steven's taken by the Clintons. And Dodo gets to just like kind of be in the room with Doc and Kate while they talk and she doesn't really do anything. Right. Until she pulls a gun on Doc to be like, let's go. (laughs) Half-heartedly. Her, her walking in to like wherever the doctor is at the end, just waving the gun. Around. <laughs> right. And doctors grabs it from her. Like I could have taken this. Yeah. Idea. <laughs> uh, all the stuff with the doctor and doc in the dentist scenes. Fucking great. Wait, and then like the case of mistaken identity. Always good. That was really clever. I thought it was like, oh, shit. People call him the doctor. So they just assume Doc Holiday. Right. Um, but also holiday doing dentistry, just hammered on whiskey. That was pretty, pretty wild. <laughs> Doc Holliday was always hammered on whiskey. Yeah, I'd believe it. So Doc Holliday is cool and all in this, but he does like kill people in cold blood. And like, he, and he sets the doctor up to die. <laughs> um, kind of. Yeah. No, he was he was going <laughs> to let him just die and right. assume. And then he could just like he, assume a different identity. Yeah. And then later the doctor says. Like when he's going to go find Doc or talk to him and someone tries to stop him, he goes, 
Doc, Doc Holliday's a great friend. He gave me a gun. He fixed my tooth. What more do you want? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I was like, well, he also uh, was going to let you get murdered for him. Right. So that he could leave. Yeah. He, he was <laughs> he was a, like the Doc Holliday was like a sleazy. Uh, what, what's the term where like you're a bad guy, but you have good tendencies. I Anti-hero. Sure. <laughs> yeah, I guess he was only loyal to Wyatt. Well, and that's the story of Doc Holliday. That's why Tombstone's so cool is because it's really a story of these two guys and their friendship. And it's like the most famous lawman in America and a murderous outlaw being best friends. Um, I love that through the whole thing and he never stops. The doctor keeps calling him Mr. Werp <laughs> instead of Erp. Oh, <laughs> And even at the very end, when they're leaving, he's like, oh, that Mr. Werp is a really nice guy. The song that plays through the whole thing. That's what everyone bitches about when they talk about this story. This story is not well liked. It, it could have been without, but I didn't hate it. No. And if you're thinking about it, like people might get bored of it or angry at it because they're watching all four stories in one go. I was thinking that too. Yeah. If you're once watching a week, it once a week yeah. and you hear the song like two or three times. It's just a recap. Not that big of a deal. Yeah. Well, yeah. It's like the Greek chorus. It's um like an interlude while they're either setting up scenes or like when Wyatt's loading his gun mm -hmm. after they just had this big dramatic scene and they're going to reset to the next scene. Then this song comes in to fill in the audience on what's been going on. And then it's just a shot of Wyatt very slowly loading a gun for 10 seconds while the song plays. And that's the Greek chorus. That's what I mean, that's been around for thousands of years. Doctor uses it a couple times. And I like to point it out whenever it happens. Like, uh, well, we'll get to it later. Don't worry about it. Yeah, I I, I wasn't like a full fan of the, the song because it, it did get old, but I understood why it was there. But I did also like the changes. Like it wasn't the same thing every time. It was recapping what had just happened yeah. or summarizing what you're seeing right now like it was it was cool and like the last couple when it's like it's less jovial and it's more about like this yeah. war that's about to happen they would change the cadence and right the speed and it, it and kind of got like melancholy yeah. mm -hmm. and it was cool yeah i i thought it was great this this story was awesome it wasn't a doctor who episode or <laughs> show who's your mvp i already I, said wider I'm going to give it to Doc Holliday. Good. Because they both deserve it. They were so I good. had them both. Yeah. And another story that we get to watch for our companions episode where the companions don't do anything. I wrote this down and never actually asked you. So I'm going to ask you now. I marked where each of these stories appears in the 50th anniversary Doctor Who magazine poll. Okay. So there's 241 total stories. But if we just look at classic stories, there are... 156. So let's start with the time meddler. Just on the 156 classic stories, where do you think that fell? So I'm going to guess that most of the Dalek ones are above 50%. So I'm going to say this one is just slightly above 50%. Because I need a number. What? Oh, <laughs> fuck. A list of 1 to 156. Which number did the time meddler fall in? Uh, so 50% halfway would be 78. So I'm going to say 72. <laughs> 47. Oh, um, they liked it. You're right. 
for the first Doctor stories, not a lot of non-Dalek stories are very high. His highest ones are all Dalek stories, um, apart from this one. Nice. Uh, when you do include New Who, it falls to 77. Hmm. All right. The Ark. 156 stories. Where did this fall? I've just given you a big clue by saying that first Doctor stories, not a ton of them are super high. Yeah. No, I would probably put this one in like uh, 93. Closer. 115. Oh, okay. Okay, okay. Now, and that, that falls to 184 when you include New Who. So bottom third for sure. Mm. The Gunfighters. Out of 156, where did it fall? 156. Yeah, the arc was one. <laughs> no, the twin dilemmas, <laughs> the last one. The way that you're saying people hate it is like, it's got to be last then, right? It is the seventh least liked first Doctor story. What? Okay. So give me a real guess. Uh, 120. It's 125. Oh, I was close. Falls to 202 when you include New Who. Big drop. Damn. Wow. All right. All in all, I had a good time watching all three of these stories. Happy to do it. I fucking Would love watch Gunslinger. Again. Gunfighters. <laughs> God damn it. Alex, it is now time. Yeah. For us to talk about our companions. We have a thing we need to do soon, so we're going to fly through this. We might. There wasn't to, much to talk about. <laughs> we might have to pick this up later. This is all my notes just on Steven. I have a ton of notes. Oh. Okay. Steven Taylor, played by Peter Purvis. What do you think about Steven? What do you have to say about him? Uh, he rubbed me the wrong way in the first story. I didn't enjoy him because he was questioning everything, which makes sense. Like he was the character itself, I guess, was doing the right thing. Um, but as it went on, I did enjoy him. Like he from the three stories I saw, he seemed. I don't know. I mean. Gunfighters, he was captive the whole time. So that was, I don't know. He was there. <laughs> it's hard to gauge it, you know? Yeah. And uh, Peter Purvis, the actor, has kind of an interesting relationship with the character. We'll get into it in a second here, but I do want to point out Stephen was in 10 stories. Um, this or these and the chase are the only ones that exist in their entirety that we could watch for the podcast. Hmm. So it's kind of tough that. You know, we don't get to see his entire time to kind of give us a better idea. And the stories we do end up getting are ones that he's not really doing a whole lot in. Yeah. But he's kind of like the forgotten man of 60s who. Because we have Ian and we have Jamie. They're like the two. Like Ian is the doctor. The first doctor's yeah. guy. Uh, Jamie's the second doctor's everything. And there was Steven. At the end of the first Doctor's time, he he just kind of gets the short end of the stick when talked about 60s Doctor Who with, you know, good reason, because those other two guys leave a really big uh, impression on the show and fandom. Peter Purvis did a lot of stage acting, but he doesn't really have a lot of IMDb credits either before or after Doctor Who. He did have a big career afterwards as a presenter or a host. He's a good looking man. That would make a lot of sense. So, like, pretty quickly after Doctor Who, he was, like, most notably what I know him from is he's a host of Blue Peter, which we've talked about a bunch of times, like a children's variety show. Hmm. Uh, so, he did a lot of that kind of stuff more than acting. Um, I watched his Mythmakers interview. He doesn't really remember 
much about the stories he was in. So when the interviewer is like going through everyone, he's like, he remembers like what costume he wore or like another actor that was in. It was like, oh, I really like that guy. But he doesn't remember the stories. He doesn't give a shit. Yeah. <laughs> just like whatever. In in his first story, The Chase, you know, he plays two characters in that. So besides being Steven, he was also this um, hick cowboy dude on top of the Empire State Building. And so he got cast for that. And then, like, while they were shooting it, he was asked by Verity and Dennis Spooner to, like, go have a drink with him. And they created the character of Steven for him because they just liked him, liked having him around. He also says that the uh, the character, as described to him, and stop me if you've heard this before, was supposed to be different than <laughs> what the stories ended up being. <laughs> so he was supposed to like hold his own against the doctor. He was supposed to be kind of tough and cool. And he ended up, apart from like the time meddler, maybe, he ended up not being like that. And he even says in his Mythmakers interview that the scripts were coming in from people who didn't know that Ian and Barbara weren't on the show anymore. So, like, Ian and Barbara were in the scripts. Oh, so they had to retrofit them. And so he's, at times, playing Barbara. And he hmm. says, like, you know, there's times Steven gets captured and has to be saved. And Steven, the character that I thought I was playing, wouldn't have given up without a fight and just allowed himself to be taken he would have started swinging yeah so it's kind of another case of an actor who maybe didn't have the best time on doctor who when he was there hmm. and again not because he didn't get along with the other actors or the production or anything it's just the character he ended up being or playing wasn't the character that he was told was going to be he also says that myth makers that and i don't know how much this is true that Maureen O'Brien, who was Vicky, like she, they take the summer break because from in between season two and three. Mm -hmm. And she comes back and in the second story, her character leaves. And he, he, according to him, she was not informed that she was leaving the show. Oh, no. Like they just write you out. And it was like she was on vacation or like they're in between seasons. Why bring someone back for two stories? Like just you should like, be you should be told so you can start getting some work. Yeah, yeah. In that time off, yeah. she could have been working. Yeah. Um, wow. But you know, she of all of the or not all, but oh, you know, a lot of these companions that we're seeing don't work a lot outside of Doctor Who. Maureen O'Brien's the exception. She worked a fucking shitload. She was on every TV show that ever existed from. The in the 60s, 70s, and 80s. Good for her. Peter Purvis also reprised the role of Steven in 32 Big Finish audio dramas. Nice. As well as he's That's narrated a, um, a bunch of Doctor Who audio books. How long is a single audio drama? Um, Two hours. Two at a chain. Two you did 32 of those? They pay you. Fuck. <laughs> That's a lot. Um, It's voice work. It's... Yeah, but that's I'm, over years. <laughs> you, you still got to take like a lot of takes and stuff. Yeah, that's... but also they these actors they love doing big finish because they don't have to memorize the scripts. Oh, they you just, just show it. up and yeah. the scripts there, and they yeah. and then there's a director who's like, "Okay, you're running." Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, oh, he's also appeared in thirteen Doctor Who documentaries. 
Uh, the character of Stephen is either from the 25th or 28th century. So we didn't even mention this with Stephen and Vicky. We had two companions who are not contemporary humans. They're both from future far in our future, hundreds yeah. of years in our future. I did uh, not get that from Stephen. No, <laughs> that was, huh? But, uh, it's never really said where he, when he's from, there's kind of like hints, uh, in like some books or some audios where I think in one Vicky says that like, he's from her recent past. Like she learned about some war that happened in his time and she's from the 26th century. So that make him like 25th maybe. Mm. But then in another book, he says he's from the 28th. So who knows? Oh, so he leaves the show in the savages which we can't watch because it doesn't exist when he's asked by locals. So they're on like this earth like planet that's having a civil war between the savages and the elders. That was the one right after gunfighters. <clears throat> oh yeah. Yeah. And yeah. Um, so he leaves, he's asked by the elders to like stay and help them rebuild after they solve this civil war. And he's eventually, he eventually becomes king of the planet <laughs> And had Whoa. three daughters, the youngest of whom he called Dodo. Nice. Speaking of, Dodo Chaplet, played by Jackie Lane, a contemporary of 1965. She joined the Doctor and Stephen when she mistook the TARDIS for a police box. Because <laughs> it was 1965. All right. Uh, Dodo is in six stories, three of which are missing. And one of which we're going to watch next week for Ben and Polly because it's their first story. That's her last one. She joined at the very end of the massacre, like I said before. Uh, what'd you think of Dodo in these couple stories we saw? Well, like you said in the in the first uh, one, I liked her in in the first one of the arc. I liked her like she was there, present, upbeat, like had kind of like a personality thing, but then. Uh, she just got shit on <laughs> by, by the doctor yeah. and Steven. She was very plucky and sassy and was like kind of talking shit. Yeah. Um, uh, as opposed to Steven, who Peter Purvis says that, you know, they worked on a character and then it just didn't happen. She said in her myth makers, Jackie Lane, that there was no discussion about her character at all. So the interviewer keeps trying to ask her, like, so... In your mind, were you was the character blah, blah, blah. And she just keeps interrupting and say, there's no character like we didn't have any conversations. We didn't work on it. The script showed up. I just said what was on the page. <laughs> and so wow. they just wanted brown haired girl. <laughs> so she, so they so she didn't even like try to just insert anything. She does after a bit kind of break down and say that she did want the character to make an impact in the way that the other companions hadn't. Um, she wanted the character to have like life and vitality and like a cheekiness. And I think you see that a little bit in the gunfighters, a little bit more in the first episode of uh, the arc. Mm -hmm. And maybe maybe we'll see some of it and maybe we can talk about her just briefly again next week when we watch um, the War Machines. OK, yeah, as long be... as this isn't. It for Dodo, then yeah. We have one more story to I, watch. I'm, I'm excited to <laughs> and see. And she spends most of it in bed. Ah, oh, fuck. <laughs> in her Mythmaker, she says that she was interviewed by Verity and Waris Hussein to take part in what she was told was a six part science fiction series. And 
she's like, okay, I can do that six parts. And then when Verity asked her if she would be willing to sign a one-year contract, she said no. So she was originally, she she says the story gets blown in proportion. People say that she was offered the role of Susan. She wasn't really. She was asked, would you sign a one-year contract? And she said no. So she did go and have an interview with Verity and Morris, but didn't. it didn't go super far. They liked her. She had worked with um, someone in production before, and that's how they went to her. And she had a reputation as being a really good young actor. Mm-hmm. Um, so how things could have been different if she was Susan instead of Dodo. And then when that's it came, interesting, she yeah. says when it came around again, she couldn't say no. <laughs> she had to do it because it was so big at that point. Right. Yeah. Um, and her Mythmakers is actually pretty cool because she does remember all the stories. Because she says fans like over the years would give send her tapes like before video or like the video releases were coming out. Yeah. Fans would send her tapes and she watched them <laughs> and she like likes the stories. She's very positive about her time on Doctor Who. Um, she did one convention and will never do another one. <laughs> so that sucks. But she also, like so many, didn't really act anymore. She had mm. like a, maybe another job after Doctor Who, but that's it. She became like an antique shop dealer. She became an agent for voiceover actors. Oh, cool. Yeah, she's had a nice career, but not as an actor, which she says kind of over and over. All she ever wanted to be was an actor, and it just didn't happen. Mm. And there's one last thing I want to take away from these Mythmaker interviews that I watch. And because I don't know. Because Ben and Polly are more kind of like a second doctor companions. Um, every person to a T is asked by this interviewer, Nicholas Briggs, like, so there are kind of stories about William Hartnell. Like everyone kind of says he like he's tough to get along with every single person in these interviews that was a companion says he was great to me. We fucking loved each other. It was awesome. Like, yeah, he could be like, he could get mad, but like when he should have, like the things that were happening were aggravating and he'd get pissed off. I wonder if those reports of him being tough to work with came from producers and directors because... Yeah, the people fucking up. Yeah, like if if they're messing up, he's going to let them know. For sure. <laughs> okay. Again, Alex and I have to get the fuck out of here, so we're gonna, we're really blowing through this. Alex, Dodo, what'd you think? I thought she was cool. I, I'm, I'm excited that we have one more story to watch of her. I'm sad that yeah. a lot of her stuff is gone. Yeah. I would like to see more. Um, yeah, it'll be interesting when these animations they're doing when they get to the first doctor. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I like Dodo. Um, I think her character could have been, if if we got to see more of it, I would bet that I might like her more than I like Susan, Mm -hmm. but for William Hartnell, young girl companions, like Vicky's number one. Yeah. Alex. Yeah. We need. To now discuss what we're going to do for next time, we have Ben and Polly. I toyed with the idea of doing them together like we just did with Steven and Dodo because they have the same first story, the War Machines. They have the same final story, the Faceless Ones. They have so little in their season. Their first story, the War Machines, is their only story that completely exists in its entirety. The next season is the season with the most missing episodes. There are 
there's the Macro Terror, which has been fully animated, and I have. There's also the Moon Base and the Faceless Ones, which which both have existing episodes and have had their missing episodes animated to fill in. Okay. I've also never seen both of those, so that I really want to do them because they're new to me personally. So I think what we're going to do is split them up, do them separately, even though they are so attached to each other. Yeah. Um, so I went to the internet and I asked Twitter, like, which stories we should do for each person. So I put up a poll. Is the Macro Terror more of a Ben or a Polly story? And it got a 50-50 tie. So then I'm like, okay, I'll do this differently. So I put, would you say that the moon base or the faceless ones is more of a Ben story? 50-50 tie. (laughs) (laughs) So I have no idea which ones to do. We're going to split them in this way. Next time, we're going to do Ben. And we're going to do the War Machines and the Macro Terror solely because they're written by the same person. All right. And then we'll save the moon base and faceless ones for Polly. And then we'll move on to the final group of the 60s, which is Zoe, Victoria, not in that order. (laughs) Victoria, Zoe, and then Jamie. Sounds good. So next week or next time. We're going to talk about Ben, and we're going to do so by watching The War Machines and The Macro Terror. Okay. Alex, give me the song. Gotta go. This has been Brothers Who, our episode on Steven and Dodo. Please listen to our regular podcast, Married to Who, where we're just wrapping up Series 10, going into the Chivers and Jody era. On behalf of myself, Jake, and my brother, Alex, thank you so much for listening. Please join us next time as we talk about Ben and Polly. Wee <laughs> 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 <laughs>